So let's start our Dhamma talk with the Namo Tassa. Namo Tassa Bhagavata Arahata Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavata Arahata Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavata Arahata Samma Sambuddhasa So tonight I'm going to continue with this series of talks about the Bojangas, the enlightenment factors. Two days ago in my talk I explained the second of these seven enlightenment factors, namely the enlightenment factor of investigation, investigation of Dhammas or investigation of states. And in Pali, this is called Dhamma Vijaya, Sambhojanga. And we have seen that Dhamma Vijaya is actually a designation for Panya. Panya meaning understanding, insight, or wisdom. And so, Panya can be uh, worldly wisdom, understanding, so uh, acquiring understanding, knowledge uh, in regard to one's life, to enhance uh, one's life. Then there is also uh, Panya Dhamma Vijaya in regard to the Dhamma, in regard to the practice of the Buddha's teaching. So you could say that's spiritual knowledge or understanding and this can be on, on the one hand intellectual knowledge or understanding of the Dhamma by reading books, listening to talks and so on but on the other hand and which that part which is much more important is the experiential understanding of dhammas which comes about through the practice of meditation so it's this intuitive non-intellectual uh, understanding of things as they truly are to see mental and physical phenomena in the true nature And for this Dhamma Vijaya to be a true or real enlightenment factor, this intuitive insight or understanding that arises through meditation practice refers to seeing phenomena arising and passing away. So to clearly see the appearance and disappearance of mental and physical phenomena and we have seen that this kind of understanding comes about in the fourth stage of insight knowledge so at that stage the true or real enlightenment factor of investigation starts to arise and so today I'm going to talk about the next enlightenment factor which is Virya Sambhojanga. Virya meaning effort or energy, perseverance. But before I go into that, I want to relate a personal experience which illustrates the healing power of the Bojangas. As we have seen, these enlightenment factors, the Bojangas, are also compared to medicine, very potent, effective medicine that are able not only to cure the diseases of the mind, 
defilements, but as a nice side effect or byproduct, also uh, diseases of the body. So this happened about six years ago in Saida Ujanaka's forest center north of Yangon in Burma. At that time we had quite a big number of foreigners practicing meditation and at that time Sayado Uindaka, who was the abbot of the forest center and the teacher, he did the interviews with the foreigners. I translated uh, them from Burmese into English and vice versa. But for the talks, the foreigners had to listen to tapes of Jamie Sayado or Sayado Ujanaka talks that he had given earlier or talks that he had given abroad in retreats. And Sayado Janaka has also been here in this center and he actually had also played these talks here at EMIMC. So at one time, at yeah, one time, one foreigner came to me and uh, said that it would be nice or even nicer if Sayadaw Uindaka could give live Dhamma talks. And so I said, yes, it's a good idea, nice idea. Um, he and so I told him in the next interview he should request. Sayado Uindaka to give live Dhamma talks. So this meditator did and Sayado Uindaka uh, consented and said that once a week he would give a Dhamma talk to the foreigners. And because Sayado Uindaka being quite busy with foreign meditators, Burmese meditators and overseeing the running of the meditation center so then it was Sunday morning that he had time to give this Dhamma talk to the foreigners after breakfast. And the foreigners, they uh, were very happy to get this live Dhamma talk and they were looking forward to the Sundays to listen to these talks. And so one Sunday morning, early morning when the bell was ringing, 3.30. You, you see here you can sleep in until 4.30. <laughs> um, I woke up and I felt miserable. I had pain in the stomach. I felt nausea and just feeling so miserable. So I stayed in bed and didn't want to get up. But then uh, at breakfast time, 5.30, I went to the dining hall and had some rice porridge, rice scroll, but I didn't feel like eating and I was weak and miserable and with stomach pain. So I went back to my koti, back to bed. And I thought, oh, today I can't translate this summer talk, it's impossible. But then I knew how the foreigners were looking forward so much to this one live Dhamma talk a week. And so I thought, well, I try. And so before 8 o'clock, Dhamma talk was to start at 8, Mimi, my Burmese friend, and I went to the room where Sayadaw was going to give the Dhamma talk, put out the mats and prepared everything. So then the foreigners came, sat down, and Saido Oendaka was usually a bit late because Western understanding of 8 o'clock a.m. and Burmese understanding of 8 a.m. is somewhat different. <laughs> For foreigners it's 8 o'clock, yes. For Burmese 8 o'clock is sometime after breakfast. <laughs> and so I was pacing up and down on the veranda of that kuti, feeling still miserable and oh, not in the mood of translating a Dhamma talk. 
and thinking, oh, Saito, please come quickly, then it's over. <laughs> and so, about ten minutes late, he came, sat down, and then started to give the Dhamma talk. And I never knew what he was going to talk about. And so, he started the talk saying that he was going to talk about the Bojangas, the enlightenment factors. And so, explaining that these enlightenment factors are also considered to, to be medicine, just in the way as I've explained it in my first two talks, and then going through these seven enlightenment factors. And so, to the best of my ability, I translated from Burmese into English. And translating is quite a demanding job. And it needs mindfulness, awareness, being present, listening to the Sayadaw, what he's saying, trying to keep, memorizing what he's saying, and then when he's finished, uh, giving it out in another language, in English. And so, when I translate, I'm very mindful, very present. My mind gets very focused. I'm really totally immersed in doing this translation. And so, during the time of translating a talk, yes, I'm fully there and present. And so, also translating that talk about the Bojangas, very quickly I found myself just doing my job. <laughs> there wasn't much to think about uh, anything else. And so then, after about an hour, Saito had finished the talk, he left, the foreign meditators left the room, and then Mimi and I were collecting the mats and put it, putting them aside. And as I was uh, collecting the mats, all of a sudden, I kind of noticed, huh, I feel healthy. <laughs> Where is my nausea? It's gone. Where is my stomachache? Completely disappeared. I felt really good, energetic. I was amazed. <laughs> and so, after um, putting things back in the room, Mimi and I immediately went to Zaido Uindaka. And so then I told Zaido Uindaka that actually that morning I wasn't feeling well at all. Told him that I had stomachache and nausea and that I even considered <coughs> not translating the talk. But finally, uh, out of compassion for the foreigners, <laughs> um, I did it. And so still, at the very beginning, I was sick. But now, after the Dhamma talk, I felt completely healthy and well. And so Sayadaw Oindaka looked at me, and there was kind of a nod of, a head, of his head, kind of saying, Yes, I tell you, it's true. The Bojangas are medicine. <laughs> So now to this uh, third enlightenment factor, Virya Sambhojanga. So this is the enlightenment factor of effort or energy, diligence or perseverance. This quality of effort, energy, perseverance is very much needed in all our endeavors be they worldly matters or be it spiritual matters, because only when there is energy or effort will we bring uh, our endeavor, our task to an end. Even if you would be very mindful and had all the knowledge, but if we wouldn't put forth effort, then we would not uh, finish our task. And Sayadaw Uindaka 
in his book about the Bojangas, he wrote, In 90% of all cases, the lack of effort prevents people from reaching their goals so that they are not successful in their endeavors. And besides this lack of energy or effort, also the lack of meritorious deeds and the lack of wisdom may also contribute to a person's lack of success. And Saido Oindaka estimates that this amounts to about 10% of all cases. So generally, in most cases, people are not successful and do not prosper because they are lazy or they do not put enough effort into their endeavors. In connection to effort, the late Mahagandayan Sayadaw from Upper Burma, uh, he said, you all think that I'm very powerful and I have very good karma. Actually, it's not only due to power and good karma, but also to a lot of effort. Whenever I talk about effort, I realize that I have spoken about it enthusiastically since my childhood. So this quality of energy, diligence, perseverance is highly praised in many regards and this is expressed in this uh, Burmese saying which goes if you are able to climb the mountain you will reach the top then the mountain will be below the soles of your feet if you strive hard you can become a Buddha. So this quality of effort or energy has the characteristic of strength or the characteristic of exertion and endurance. So this means uh, putting energy into what one is doing and when one puts energy in what one is doing then this means applying effort. Effort is also quality needed during our meditation practice. In order to be mindful, being continuously mindful, one needs to uh, exert some effort And so this quality of exertion or uh, endurance <coughs> is a characteristic of effort, virya. Now to the function of effort. It said that this quality of effort has the function to support its associate mental states. So this means that this factor of effort, it supports or it urges or it forces or it encourages its associate mental states. So for meditators whose effort has become uh, strong and powerful, then the factors of mindfulness concentration and insight will usually um, develop quite quickly. So for example, imagine two persons are climbing a high and steep mountain. After climbing for quite some time, one of these persons becomes tired and wants to go down again. The other person uh, says that it's not so far anymore to reach the top 
and so encourages the tired person um, not to give up, not to go down. And so they may take a short rest and after that the energetic person may ta take the tired person by the hand and encourage this person uh, to make it all the way up to the top. And so in this way, through the encouragement of the energetic person, then this other person also make it, also will make it all the way uh, to the top. And as it is said in this Burmese saying, when one has reached the top of a mountain, then one has actually the mountain below the soles of one's feet. And so, in the same way, this factor of energy or virya has this function of supporting and encouraging other mental factors when they become weak or uh, lack in strength. At the time when meditators feel lazy or downhearted, then one can resort to some reflections which help arouse energy and uh, in a little while I will go into talk uh, about these reflections. Some meditators who come to a retreat come with a lot of enthusiasm and at the beginning of the retreat they put forth much effort in the practice but then when things become a bit difficult or when their expectations are not met they might become um, frustrated and downhearted and so with that their energy and effort slackens and some meditators then even um, tell in the interview that they feel really bored because it's just this constant rising, falling, rising, falling and that they don't want to continue with the meditation practice that they have decided to go home. Many years ago in the forest center in Mobi we had a German yogi who was this kind of meditator. She came with a lot of enthusiasm but also with a lot of expectations. And meeting with difficulties, uh, a couple of times she came to me and said that it wasn't what she had imagined and so that she thought it was better to leave and go back. And so I encouraged her to stay on and a couple of times I was successful and she uh, stayed for another day, for another and for another day. But then, it was after about a week, uh, she came to my kuti and said that now she had decided that she was going to leave and that she had actually already packed her backpack. And so then I said, okay, come and pay respect to Zayadon tell him that you're leaving and so she came and she had already ordered a taxi well the office had contacted a taxi and it was already uh, there next to the office and so Saito's room was upstairs from the office we went up and she paid respect and then said that she had decided to leave that she was going and then Sayadaw said, well, you know, what happened? And so she explained. And so Sayadaw said, no, no, don't leave. And she said, no, I'm leaving and the taxi is already waiting. And Sayadaw said, well, doesn't matter, we can send back the taxi. No worry. And so she, then she wasn't so determined anymore. And in talking to Sayadaw, 
he could persuade her to stay on and so he told the taxi driver uh, to go back and so she stayed and it took only a few more days when she got over her difficult phase and after that the practice actually went quite well now to the manifestation of effort effort has the manifestation of not stepping back or of not shrinking not flagging so when a person's energy or effort has become quite strong either through this person's own uh, effort or through the encouragement of somebody else then this person does not step back or does not mm, give up or does not lose uh, ground with enough effort or energy then whatever difficulties or obstacles are encountered uh, there is no reason to flag in one's practice or to shrink back from this difficulty now to the cause the proximate cause for effort to arise the Buddha only mentioned one uh, proximate cause and this is frequently giving careful attention in the commentaries uh, altogether 11 proximate causes for the arising of effort are mentioned and so if your effort becomes slack if it's weak then uh, you can resort to one of these 11 ways of arousing effort so first I will mention these 11 proximate causes and after I will go through them one by one the first one is to reflect on the dangers of the lower realms the second one to reflect on the benefits of effort the third one to reflect on the right path the fourth one to have respect and appreciate the food and other requisites that one has received the fifth one to reflect on the nobility of the inheritance the sixth one to reflect on the nobility of the Buddha the seventh one to reflect on the nobility of the lineage the eighth one to reflect on the nobility of the companions in the holy life the ninth one is to avoid the company of lazy persons tenth one to associate with energetic persons and the eleventh one is to incline the mind to uh, put forth effort so these reflections of, how of arousing energy can not only be applied in our meditation practice but they also can and should be applied in our day-to-day -day life because the practice of the Dhamma is not restricted to an intensive meditation retreat but the practice of the Dhamma encompasses our whole life so if we really take the Dhamma to heart and uh, decide to live by it then we have to uh, integrate these teachings in our day-to-day -day lives so even also in our day-to-day -day lives we can become a bit slack or a bit negligent in really living up to the principles of the Dhamma
and the Buddha knew very well that human beings are very often under the influence of uh, laziness and that they always choose the way of least resistance in other words human beings want to be happy and live in comfort but they want to get it the easy way so they watch movies, they listen to nice music they eat nice food or have a nice holiday uh, somewhere so now the first uh, of these reflections it's the reflection on the dangers of the lower realms so if laziness or uh, indolence arises in regard to one's practice and this involves like the three bases of meritorious deeds all our actions activities connected to the practices of dana generosity sila morality and bhavana uh, meditation so then when this laziness arises in regard to these activities one should reflect on the dangers of the lower realms Think, um, reflecting that if one is reborn in the lower realms then there is no possibility of engaging in these meritorious deeds of dana, sila, uh, bhavana and not being able to engage in these meritorious deeds then uh, one again is most likely reborn in the lower realms and also reflecting on the fact that the suffering in these lower realms is really pervasive and very intense the hell realms are realms of intense and incredible suffering and it is said that there are eight levels of the hells and the lowest uh, the worst of this house is the hell called Avicii hell and so there it is said that beings are devoured by fire being bitten by the hell dogs being tortured by the wardens of hell or being fried in hot oil and so when one falls into this Avicii hell it's completely impossible to engage in any uh, meritorious or wholesome deed and it's also impossible to ask the hell warden for permission to go off and practice meditation <laughs> and in one of the suttas in the Devaduta Sutta in Majjhima there are quite graphic descriptions of this hell so I want to read some of it so this um, describes a man a person a man who uh, has fallen into Avicii hell the wardens drive red hot iron stakes through his hands feet and belly there he feels painful wrecking piercing feelings yet he does not die so long as that evil action has not exhausted its result so even if this torture is really immense but one has to endure it for a long time as long as one's evil karma is not exhausted then next the wardens of hell harness him to a chariot and drive him back and forth across ground that is burning, blazing and growing and then comes the refrain there he feels painful, wrecking, piercing feelings and so on next the wardens of hell make him climb up and down a great mound of coals 
that are burning, blazing and glowing. Then comes the refrain. Next, the wardens of hell take him feet up and head down and plunge him into a red-hot metal cauldron that is burning, blazing and glowing. He is cooked there in a swirl of froth. And then comes the refrain. Then some other kinds of um, tortures. Immediately next to the vast hell of hot embers is the vast wood of Simbali trees, a league high bristling with thorns, sixteen finger breaths long, burning, blazing and glowing. They make him climb up and down those trees. There he feels painful, racking, piercing feelings and so on. Immediately next to the vast wood of Simbali trees is a vast wood of sword leaf trees. He goes into that. The leaves, stirred by the wind, cut his hands, feet, ears and nose. Comes the refrain. Next, the wardens of hell ask him, Good man, what do you want? He says, I'm hungry. Then the wardens prize open his mouth with red-hot iron tongs, burning, blazing and glowing, and they throw into this mouth a red-hot metal ball, burning, blazing and glowing. It burns his lips, his mouth, his throat, his stomach, and it passes out below, carrying with it his intestines and mesentery. And then comes the refrain. So, just some forms <laughs> of suffering. And if you think this is a bit extreme or far out, actually it's not. You know, we have to uh, understand that the hell beings, even the wardens of hell, they land there because of their great anger and ignorance. And so, if this kind of tortures um, are inflicted in the hell realm, um, you know, even if we look at this world and what human beings are able to inflict uh, to other beings, it's not so much different. About 11 years ago, I was at a Buddhist conference in Cambodia, in Phnom Penh. And after the conference, we had some sightseeing in Phnom Penh, and we were also taken to what is now a museum. But during the time of the Khmer Rouge, it was a prison and place. And so there were big drawings which depicted how the Cambodian people, especially the intelligentsia, was tortured there in that prison. And so for example, people were hung up by their feet and then there was this huge pot filled with excrement, human feces and urine. And so the people would be lowered head first into this pot with excrements, dipped in there a little bit, and then uh, on the string the, the rope pulled up again, only to be dipped into this pot of excrement uh, again and again. And so imagine, these were human beings who tortured a fellow human being in this way. Or <coughs> another form of torture that was practiced there was um, with red-hot um, pincers, the nipples were cut off of people. So, you know, even 
in this on this planet this kind of tortures can be inflicted on other human beings and uh, this uh, kind of suffering um, can be even experienced here on earth and I'm sure right now as I'm talking and giving this talk somewhere on this planet some persons will be tortured in very cruel and what we would think unimaginable ways so reflecting on these dangers of the lower realms can uh, arouse some energy also a sense of urgency and so if one does not um, if one does not uh, engage in meritorious wholesome deeds or if one procrastinates about engaging in wholesome deeds now in this lifetime how then will one be able to engage in uh, wholesome deeds in future lifetimes when one is reborn in the lower realms then the second point is to reflect on the benefits of effort so when one's energy has dropped or when one becomes a bit lazy then one should reflect on the beneficial effects of energy or effort so whether one practices for one week or two weeks or one month in the whole of samsara there is only this dhamma which can lead to true happiness and peace it's this dhamma or the practice in accordance to the dhamma uh, that can free us from the rebirth in the lower realms and so if only this practice can free us from falling into the lower realms if only this practice can save us from the dangers of aging sickness and death so why don't we put more effort into our practice then the third point is to reflect on the right path and the path uh, includes the path of satipatthana or vipassana meditation and it also includes the noble eightfold path as we have seen in an earlier talk the Noble Eightfold Path is a path leading to Nibbana or complete liberation and during that talk we have seen that the first factor namely right understanding slants and inclines towards Nibbana in the same way as a river slants and inclines towards the ocean and we also should remember that it is due to our previous wholesome deeds and due to our uh, perfections that we now have the opportunity to walk on this path or to practice uh, this path and so we should acknowledge how exalted this path is We also uh, should acknowledge the fact that it is very rare to have this opportunity to walk on this path and actually to be here among I heard there are about 20 million people in Australia so among these 20 million Australians you are part of these about 18 meditators who have the privilege uh, to be here and practice meditation so you are the one who got this one in a million chance 
So if you reflect on this effort, energy might be arise, arose. Then the fourth point is uh, to respect and appreciate the food and other requisites you have received. So this reflection is about to consider the kindness and uh, generosity of the people who either offer the food or prepare the food for us and appreciate requisites that one has received uh, is more for nuns and monks. So offering of meals and requisites is a widespread practice in Burma. There in the meditation centers very often the meals are offered by people, by donors who come to the center. Sometimes it's one of the meditators who offers the meal for everybody else in the center. So we should not take it for granted to get all this wonderful support. And we also should reflect about the fact that the donors who offer a meal uh, Probably they had to go through a lot of uh, difficulties or struggles to get all the money together to be able to do this uh, dana. They probably needed to work very hard and uh, in that work probably had to put up with some unkind or rude people. But nevertheless, out of uh, strong faith and understanding of the benefits of such a practice, uh, they have put up with all these difficulties and hardships. Again, to cite Mahagandayon Sayadaw, he said, when I was studying the scriptures in Pakoku, it's a town in Upper Burma, I strove very hard. On the days donors came to offer a meal at the monastery, I studied even harder because I wanted to repay their kindness. I wanted them to receive as many benefits as possible. In my first years of practicing meditation in Saito Ujjanaka Center in Yangon, there were many people coming to offering the meals and being new to that uh, kind of practice, uh, I was sometimes really overwhelmed by the kindness and generosity of these people. And in Burma, when people come to offer a meal, then they usually um, stand at the door of the dining hall, offer some rice into the arms bowls of the monks, and then when all the meditators are inside the dining hall and eating, they actually sit at the back of the dining hall and watch everybody else eating. And only when the meditators have finished eating um, do they eat. And so seeing these donors uh, being there, sitting in the back of the dining hall, I felt so much gratitude. It was like I wanted to get up, shake their hands and say, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but of course, keeping noble silence, being mindful, not engaging in any communication. So then I realized all I could do to repay um, my gratitude for them was to really practice diligently, to put in as much effort as I could, that in this way I could uh, say thank you uh, to these people. 
Then the next point is to reflect on the nobility of the inheritance. So this teaching uh, is a very noble inheritance and the Buddha's inheritance that he has left uh, to us consists of path knowledge, fruition knowledge and Nibbana and so this is actually the most excellent inheritance that we can get and so if we wholeheartedly put the Buddha's teaching into practice we do so by putting energy into our practice then we are worth to receive this most excellent uh, inheritance and so reflecting that this is the most excellent inheritance we can get so it can arouse energy and if we are lax or indolent or a bit lazy in our practice then we come to realize that it's only through some effort and energy that we can get or experience this inheritance because this inheritance the realization of Nibbana does not fall from the sky as a gift in our lap so we can forget about just waiting for it to happen by itself the next point is to reflect on the nobility of the Buddha so the Buddha as our uh, ultimate teacher he was, a he was an extraordinarily noble person and it is said that the Buddha was honored by the 10,000 universes <coughs> and at major events of the Buddha's life these 10,000 universes shook and trembled and it is said that they shook and trembled at these following events namely at the Buddha's conception then at the time of his great renunciation when he left the palace then at the time of his enlightenment then uh, at the time when he gave his first discourse the Dhammachakapavatana Sutta setting in motion the wheel of the Dhamma then the universe is shook and trembled when he displayed this miracle of radiating fire and water simultaneously and then also when he returned to the human world after uh, teaching Abhidhamma in the Deva realm this is said had happened during the seventh Vasa and uh, he was teaching his mother who had passed away seven days after his birth and all the Devas and finally the universe is shook and trembled when he finally relinquished the will to live and when he attained Parinibbana So reflecting on the nobility of the Buddha then we come to realize that it is not proper for us to be lazy and indolent in our practice having such a noble and outstanding being as our teacher and so with this reflection um, energy can be aroused next comes the reflection on the nobility of the lineage this means like when men ordain as monks they become sons of the Buddha 
the Pali word for it is Sakya Putta and when women ordain as nuns they become Sakya Ditas the daughters of the Buddha and actually all virtuous meditators and true Buddhists should also be considered the sons and daughters of the Buddha and so belonging to this noble lineage of the Sakyans the Buddha was born uh, in the Sakyan clan uh, so belonging to the Sakyan clan being either a Sakya Dita, daughter of the Buddha or being a Sakya Putta, a son of the Buddha it is not fit that we just hang around and are lazy and indolent but it's only proper to belong to such a noble lineage by putting forth uh, effort in our practice then the next point is to reflect on the nobility of the companions in the holy life so when somebody becomes a nun or a monk then it is said that with that this person has entered the holy life but actually also the meditators who wholeheartedly practice uh, the Buddha's teaching uh, are part of these companions in the holy life and so our companions in the holy life are very are many noble and outstanding uh, beings like they go back to the time of the Buddha so there we have venerable Sariputta venerable Mogalana or venerable Kema or venerable Upalavana these were the foremost disciples of the Buddha in wisdom and psychic powers both nun, the monks and the nuns and so throughout the ages since the time of the Buddha there have been many and noble uh, companions in this holy life and even nowadays we have many uh, companions in this holy life for example, the Burmese Sayadaws, uh, Sayado Ujanaka, Sayado Upandita, or Sayado Ukundala, or we have the Thai Ajans, Ajan Mahabhuva, or Ajan Chumyan, or the late Ajan Cha, or uh, present day companions from the Western Sangha, such as Ajahn Sumedho, or Bhikkhu Bodhi, or Ajahn Sundara, Ajahn Vayama, and so on. So, having such noble companions uh, in our life, knowing that they have been uh, energetic uh, in the practice, then how can we become lazy and uh, lax in our practice and so reflecting in this way our energy can be aroused then the next two points are to avoid the company of lazy persons and to associate with energetic persons so this is quite obvious if we associate with lazy persons then very likely we also follow their example and become lazy and uh, do not put effort into what we are doing however if we associate with energetic enthusiastic persons then uh, it's more likely that we also uh, are enthusiastic and energetic in our practice or if our effort energy slackens a bit then 
having energetic persons um, around us, this can uh, inspire us to uh, put more energy in our practice again. For just being around them uh, naturally arouses more energy. Sairo Oindaka has uh, written in his book that if one associates, if one seeks the company of lazy and indolent persons, then uh, one very likely uh, catches the laziness bug. One becomes infected with this laziness bug, and once this laziness bug has uh, been, uh, one has got this laziness bug. It's difficult to get rid of it again. And the last point to arouse energy is to be to incline the mind to be energetic all the time. So one should incline the mind to always be energetic in one's practice so and to make sure that this enlightenment factor of energy is always present. So in regard to our meditation practice, so whenever you are sitting or walking or eating or drinking something, then your diligence or your effort should be firm and at times resolute. So this means that one should incline the mind to be diligent and to practice without gaps or without any breaks. And especially do so at times when the practice becomes a bit difficult or challenging. As we have seen, um, effort has this quality of not stepping back or not shrinking, not losing one's ground. So these are these 11 proximate causes as they are mentioned in the commentaries these proximate causes of uh, how energy uh, can arise. Living in Burma, in Saida Ujanaka's forest center, there were quite a number of snakes uh, around. And a few times I happened to see how a snake a frog and so then the snake had the frog in its mouth and so the, the head of the frog was, was in the snake's mouth but still part of the body and the hind legs were sticking out and so the frog not being completely dead yet was struggling very much and also crying, shouting because one could hear the noises of this poor little frog trying to escape from the mouth of the snake but not being able to escape and so the snake snake very gradually and slowly um, sort of um, pulled more of the frog inside having to open its mouth very uh, big and so took 10-15 minutes uh, for the snake to devour the frog while the frog the struggling became weaker and weaker and also the noises of this poor little frog became fainter and fainter until they completely stopped and actually for us human beings it's not so much different we are also constantly, slowly, gradually 
devoured by Mara, by death. Our life is a constant struggle and somehow we struggle to stay alive. We don't want to die, but we cannot avoid that. And so to avoid death, to get away from it, or at least not to have it happen right now, later on hopefully, so human beings are constantly struggling. They put a lot of effort into staying alive and even more effort to have a decent, happy life. So there is effort, there is energy, there is perseverance and so people uh, have to be careful not to be uh, affected or infected by the laziness bug. Those who, are, who have gotten the laziness bug, who do not struggle, who do not put effort, then they are a very easy prey for Mara, for death. And so to get away from death, not only in this life, but to completely become free from death and other kinds of dangers, birth, sickness, falling into lower realms, human beings have to put forth some effort. They have to be perseverant and uh, be energetic. So this enlightenment factor of energy is also quite an important one. So then we'll conclude the talk here. May all of you be able or may all of you be endowed with the energy necessary to become completely free and liberated. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.